Matthew chapter number 3, verses 16 and 17. Someone that has an actual Bible in your hand, what's the last, what's the number of the last verse of Matthew chapter 3? 17. So we're going to read the last two verses of chapter 3, and then we're going to read the next three verses, which are chapter 4. Now, just in case you, you don't know, do you know that the writers of the Bible didn't divide it into chapters and verses? Did you know that? They just wrote. We divided it later into chapters and verses so it would make it easier for us to find them. But when they wrote, they didn't write chapter 5. And so sometimes when you see the break, the writer didn't break it. And so he just keeps on talking. So let's read it. Matthew chapter number 3, verse 16 and 17, then verses 1 through 3 of chapter 4. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Now look at verse number 17, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. In verse three, the tempter came and said, if thou be the son of God. I want to preach for a little while on this thought. Who am I? Who am I? Lord, I pray God for your anointing to preach, anoint ears to hear, anoint our minds to understand and receive it and mix it with faith. I pray for the gift of faith to move and operate in this place. God, help me, Lord Jesus, to help somebody in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Give the Lord a good hand clap of praise as you're being seated this morning. According to experts in the field of psychology, when it comes to the fundamental aspects of psychology, they say that the principle of self-concept is fundamental. Self-concept refers to the sum total of beliefs that people have about themselves, includes their personality traits, their abilities, their values, their beliefs. Doctors Morin and Racy said that self-knowledge is essential for, for healthy functioning because knowing oneself well leads to realistic decision-making pertaining to key aspects of one's life. The influences that generated someone's self-knowledge, their lifestyle, their habits are varied. But in the end, regardless of what's happened in our past, 
We are all responsible for our own actions and our own attitudes. This modern generation likes to blame people for their life. It's my parents' fault. It's my school's fault. It's my environment's fault. And all of these things are factors, but in the end, you must take responsibility to submit your life to Jesus Christ and to change through his word and spirit. Amen. Albert Einstein said how, he quote, how many people are trapped in their everyday habits, part numb, part frightened, and part indifferent. He said, to have a better life, we must keep choosing how we're living. You didn't have a choice of parents, and you didn't have a choice of family. You didn't have a choice, perhaps, of a lot of things that went into your development, but now you have a choice in how you live your life. You have a choice in how your home will be structured. You have a choice in how you're going to serve God. The great mystery of the incarnation is something that only God could have conceived. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time is the wonder of all wonders. And this is not in my notes, but let me go ahead and say that if you missed last Sunday night's message by Brother Woodward, you need to go back and watch it. And if you did not miss Sunday night's message, you need to watch it over and over until you have it memorized. Amen, because he talks about how God was in Christ, that God, that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. As a man, Jesus was born as a baby, but as God, he is eternal. As a man, he grew physically and mentally and spiritually and socially, but as God, he said, I change not. As a man, he was tempted by the devil, but as God, he cast out the devils. As a man, he got hungry, but as God, he's the bread of life that feeds the multitudes. As a man, he said, I thirst, but as God, he's the living water. As a man, he grew weary, but as God, he's the rest that causes the weary to rest. As a man, he slept in a storm, but as God, he calmed the storm. As a man, he prayed in Luke 22, but as God, he answered prayer in John 14. As a man, he died, but as God, he raised himself to life. As a man, he was the sacrifice for sin, but as God, he forgave sins. As a man, he had no power, but as God, all power in heaven and earth was given unto him. As a man, he was a servant, but as God, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Alpha and the Omega. He is the incomparable Christ. His human side had to learn, but his God side is the source of all knowledge. And so Jesus had to submit 
his human will and his human body to his redemptive destiny. And part of the submission was his baptism. Jesus was baptized. And let's read it again, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, everybody say when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Amen. I'm going to tell you that being baptized is more than just a public confession of your inner faith. Being baptized is a gateway to a brand new life. As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's how you put his name on you. Amen. When a baby is born, the parent says, this is the child's name. When a baby is adopted, they stand before the judge and they say, this is the child's name. When you're born again, you go down in water in the name of Jesus Christ. And when you come up out of the water, you have the family name on you. The only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you ought to be baptized today for the remission of sins. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank God. When you get in the water, you don't just get wet. If they say Jesus' name over you, you become adopted into the family. And the name of Jesus releases. Oh, yes, it does. It releases redemptive power over your life. Hallelujah. I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit off topic, but I promise I'm going to get back on topic. And, uh, you know, nowadays, somebody the other day, I, 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 they, some church in Maine was trying to buy a curriculum that I wrote. And, uh, and they asked me, they said, how can we pay you? And they said, we, we, can do some, we can do Venmo and we can do Cash App. And they said something else. I can't remember what it was. And I said, I'm 52. I don't do any of that. They said, well, can we send you a check? I said, sure you can. There's something that, that, I, that people don't write a lot of checks anymore. But, but there's something you need to know about writing a check. Is that you can write the check and you can fill it all out. I went and I preached someplace. And they wrote me a check. And they, they, they wrote the check out to my name. And they put the date. And they put the amount. And they wrote out the amount. And they did all that. But they forgot to sign the check. And so here I am 500 miles or so from where I was preaching. And I go to the bank to try to cash the check. And I turn it over and I sign my name on the back. And I, and I put my account number. And I hand the check through the, through the window at the bank. And, and they're going through and they're typing all this stuff up on the, on the computer and they're getting ready to give me my money when the teller looks at the check and says they didn't sign the check. And they said, well, pastor, we know you, we know you didn't, you're not going to, you're not lying, but we can't cash the check without a name on the check. Because the authority to release funds from the account does not come when you write the amount it doesn't come when you write the person it's to, and it doesn't come when you write the date on the check. 
The only authority to release funds comes when you write the name of the person releasing the funds. With no name, there's no release. Well, let me tell you, the power to release the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ comes when you say the name of Jesus in baptism. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. There's got to be a name because the Bible said that repentance and remission of sins be preached in his name. The only way remission comes is through the name of Jesus Christ. Can I drive it home just a little bit more? Y'all want me to preach just a little bit more to you? That's why when we get you in the water, we don't say Father because Father's not a name. If I write Father on the line, that money could come from any one of you. If I write son on the line, any one of you males are a son, and that won't release it. If I write spirit, everybody in this room has a spirit, some good, some bad, but we all got one. And if I write father, son, or spirit on the line, it's not going to release anything from heaven. But when we say Jesus' name in baptism, heaven opens up, and the blood still flows. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody ought to praise him. Woo, glory to God. Glory to God. Can I preach just a little bit more? I'm having too much fun. But let me tell you, when, when Jesus, when Jesus was baptized, it changed his life. He went from being just Mary's son to when he was baptized, God said, this is my son. It's not just Mary's boy anymore. This is my boy. And God said, this is my beloved. So if baptism changed even Jesus' life, how much more should we be baptized? It's not just, let me tell you, anybody that tells you it's just a public confession of an inner faith, they're either lying or they don't understand the Bible. Because baptism is the baptism for the remission of sins. Woo, hallelujah. And the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you two things? That when you're baptized, you become a child, a son of God. And secondly, secondly, it pleases God when you get baptized. And if you want to please God, you got to be baptized in his name. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is who Jesus is. This is his identity. It was a confirmation of one of the most powerful and prominent messianic prophecies from the word of God found in Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6 where the prophet wrote unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The prophet said, when the son is given, it's not just another child, but this son is a wonderful, and he's counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace. I love that old song that says it's all in him. It's all in him. The fullness of the Godhead, it's all in him. 
When you say Jesus, you've said everything. It's the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Somebody ought to yell the name Jesus right now. Something happens when you say his name. Something changes when you call on his name. He said, the prophet said, the son is going to be given and he's going to be the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. It was a divine affirmation of the Messiah. And so when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven not a voice manufactured by human methods, not a voice dreamed up by the entire crowd that was gathered, but God's voice from heaven, the affirmation that this is the Savior, this is the Messiah, this is the beloved Son, the wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is the Messiah, this is God manifest, in the flesh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then chapter 3 ends and chapter 4 begins and we find Jesus in the wilderness. He had been told, he had been told that he was the beloved son. But here he is in the wilderness being tempted of the devil. Isn't it amazing that as soon as God tells you who you are, the devil shows up. You get baptized and you find your true spiritual identity. And the next thing you know, the devil's knocking on your door. Showing up. And in verse 3, here's what the tempter said to him. If thou be the son of God, just at the end of the previous chapter, this is my beloved son. I'm very pleased with him. And now the devil says, that's not really who you are. Or you're not really what you think you are. I know what God said you are, but that's not really you. He goes and he immediately tries to undercut what God had said about him. God said, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the devil says, that's not really who you are. And if it is, prove it. Then he goes from there to his own country. And he amazed the priests and the doctors of the law with his wisdom and his miracles. But instead of rejoicing, because the Son of God has come to our village, look at what Matthew 13, 55 says. Is not this... The carpenter's son is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. They said, he's not really who he says he is. He's not really the son of God. He's just the carpenter's son. He's just Mary's son. And then in John 7, it gets worse. The scripture tells us that Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. And then a few verses later, it says the people, when they looked at him, they said, you have a devil. Could you imagine telling Jesus he had a devil? At every turn, once God said, you're my beloved son, 
I'm very pleased with you. The devil, his family, his hometown, and random people all doubted who he was. If he had been a normal person, or if he had not known for sure that he had heard from God, he would have given up and said, you're right, I can't do this. This is not who I am. I've known people who are constantly doubting if they are who God says they are. They allow people to define them based on their past. Oh, God. I've known people who allowed events and circumstances to define their existence. They had tragic circumstances, terrible situations, dark events, and they've forever been marked by those moments. I have seen people that have become known for their mistakes and their sins and their failures. There is the addict. There is the adulterer. There's the town drunk. There's the backslider. There's the failure. They become known for what happened to them more than they are for what God told them they could be. Can I preach? They become lost behind the terrible events that marked their lives. There's some people that will never let people get over a mistake they made. There's some people that forever hold somebody's past against them. They never let them get over what they might have done at their worst moment. But I've come to this pulpit to declare that my life will not be defined by its worst moments. My struggles, my problems, my weaknesses, my failures, my tragedies are not who I am. They are what I've been through, but they are not my identity. I am who God says I am. I will not be defined by the devil. I will not be known for my circumstances, for my losses, for my trials, for my tribulations. I refuse to let my situations become my identity. Oh, I wish I, I feel the Holy Ghost trying to help somebody right now. I feel the presence of the Lord here right now. There's somebody, you know you heard God calling your name. You know you heard God telling you you could do something with your life. You know you heard God saying that you had a future, but then the devil shows right up and says, if thou be, you're not really, that. that's not real. Devil, you're a liar, that's what you are. The Bible said you're a liar. Get behind me, Satan. I am who God says I am. If, oh God. 
You see, if the devil would have believed, if Jesus would have believed the devil, he never would have walked on water. He never would have multiplied bread. He never would have healed the blind man. He never would have cast out a devil. If he had believed the devil, he never would have opened blinded eyes or dried up an issue of blood or called Lazarus from the grave. He had to believe who God said he was more than he believed who the devil said he was. I've come to tell somebody, you are not who the devil says you are. You're not who your daddy says you are. You're not who your mama, you're not who your teacher says. You are who God says you are. I will not be known for the worst decision of my life. I will not be identified by the worst day of my life. I refuse to let my situations become my identity. Furthermore, I refuse to let carnal, negative, bitter people define me and my life. My heavenly Father has stepped into my life and declared that I am his beloved son and he's pleased with me. Oh, God. Look, look, let, let me. I know, I, look, I, I know in a room this size, there's people that you didn't have the, the, the comfortable, happy home that some other people may have had. You, you may not have had a loving father that put his arms around you and said, you can do it. I believe in you. You're go I love you. Maybe you, had, maybe you had an abusive father that told you you're no good. You're a mistake. I wish you had never been born. I, you, I wish I'd never seen you. Yeah, I, maybe you had people in your life that told you, that told you you'll never amount to anything. You're worthless. You're no good. You're a terrible husband or you're a terrible wife or you're a bad this or a bad that. But my heavenly father has stepped into my life and he said, you're my beloved son. Now listen to what else he said. In whom I am well pleased. I've come to tell somebody the world might not be pleased with you, but when God looks at you, he doesn't think about all that mess. All he thinks about is what he paid for at the cross. When he looked at you, he thought you were worth dying for. He didn't die for the perfect. He died for the drug addict. He didn't die for the perfect. He died for the one that's messed up, broken, that never could get it right. That's why he died. And he said, this is. Your life may have been, oh God. Your life may have been nothing but chaos. Your life may be nothing but heartache and trial and pain and fault and failure. You might have messed up so much. You might have made a mess out of so much. But when you come up out of that water and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my child and I'm pleased with them. Oh, somebody ought to thank God. Somebody to thank him that he's pleased with you. I know you're having trouble believing it, but that's why I'm preaching this morning. Praise God. I done preached the lights out. Let's see if I can preach them back on. 
My heavenly Father has stepped into my life. I will not be known by my past. I will not be identified by my history. My Father has declared that I will be known by his name, by his power, and by his grace. And he told me in that baptismal pool when I come up out of that water, this is my son. It's a declaration to the devil. This is mine now. He's not yours anymore. He doesn't belong to you. When you come up out of that water, the devil says, okay, the Lord tells the devil, no longer do you have control of this life. This is my child. From now on, I will be known by his mercy and by his love. I'm not going to let my sadness determine my praise. I'm not going to let my loss dictate my faith. I'm not going to let my struggles predict my future. I have talked to so many people, church members, people in the community, other pastors and leaders, and there seems to be a general self-negativity in the kingdom of God. There's a general sense of negativity that permeates our world, and church people are not exempt from those dark mindsets. As Christians, we can't allow our circumstances or our trials to define who we are. If you do, then you'll always have an excuse to underachieve, to be bitter or angry or sinful. If your identity is defined by what happened to you or by your failures, then you will always have an excuse to fall short of your destiny. Amen. The children of Israel had a long history of allowing their enemies to identify them for them by what others said. We're grasshoppers, we're weak, we're not able. But I've come today to declare that I refuse to be identified by my enemies. God said, this is my beloved son. Here is the thing. The devil tells you that you're nothing, that you're insignificant, that you're a failure, that you're weak, that you're unimportant, that you're never going to amount to anything. But you have to understand something about the devil. I've already said it once. I'll say it again. The devil is a liar. If the the devil tells you you're no good and the Bible said the devil is a liar, that means you are good. If the devil says you can't make it, the devil is a liar. You can make it. If the devil says you're not worth anything, the devil's a liar. You're worth everything. Somebody ought to say it right now. The devil is a liar. It's a ruse. His demons saw you when you were baptized. They attended the service where you got the Holy Ghost. They were there when you repented of your sins. They know who you are. The devil said, if thou be, the hometown people, his brothers, the doubters, all said, you're not really who God says you are. But the Bible tells us that the devil's new. Mark 1:34, and he healed many that were sick of divers diseases and cast out many devils. Now notice this. I love this. And suffered the devils not to speak because they knew him. The devil tried to make him doubt, but all along the devil knew. Luke 4, everybody say Luke 4, 33 and 34. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. There's no such thing as a clean devil, so I'll just throw that in there. The spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, let us alone. 
what have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? Look at this phrase. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. <laughs> the devil's trying to make Jesus doubt who he is, but the whole time he knows exactly who he is. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Look a little bit later, Luke 4, verse 40. Now the sun was setting. All they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. We know who you are. We don't want you to know who you are, but we know who you are. And he rebuking, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew he was Christ. The same enemy that was trying to make him doubt who he was the whole time knew who he was. The devil knew, if I don't get him to doubt his identity, I'll never stop his destiny. And so some of us today are having an identity crisis. You know what God's done for you. You've seen glimpses of what a victorious life looks like. But as soon as God showed it to you, the devil said, you'll never be that. You'll never be free. And so can I preach a little while? Some are in spiritual depression this morning, frustrated, wondering if you really want or can live for God? Can I really do this? Am I really free? Can I really serve God? Or am I always going to go back to what I used to be? Am I always going to be what I've always been? I've come to tell you that when God says you're his, you're his. Amen. I've come to set somebody free from their own doubt and from the devil's doubt this morning. I've come to liberate somebody from the lies of the devil. You are who God says you are. John 1 and 12. I just want to talk a little bit about who you are, who God said you are. Look, as many as received him to them gave he power to become. If you're the kind that writes in your Bible, you ought to circle the word become. Because he gave you power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. I've come to tell you that God will give you the power to become everything that he says you can be doesn't matter what the devil says doesn't matter what the other people say doesn't matter even what your family says you are a son of God because God gave you power to become the sons of God can I go a little bit further Ephesians 2 19 I feel like y'all are gotten tired on me I've not got tired of all at all I, I if you've got tired I apologize but not but I'm not sincere about it Ephesians 2 19 now therefore Ye are no more strangers. You're not what you used to be. And foreigners, you're not what you used to be. But now, fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God, I've come to tell you, you belong here. 
Woo. You belong here. David, you belong standing in the house of God. You don't belong under that bridge you used to live under. You don't belong in that flop house you used to be high in. You belong here. You're a fellow citizen. You're not a stranger anymore. You're not now, you're, you're not a foreign anymore, but you're a fellow. I've come to tell anybody, whatever you've come out of, you belong here now. Woo, hallelujah. I feel like shouting for somebody that you got a new name and a new home. Second Timothy 1 and 9, I use this verse almost every time in meet and greet. So if you come to meet and greet, I'm going to use it again. And if, you ha- if, if, if you're a guest, you need to come to meet and greet. Please do. First, 2 Timothy 1 and 9, who hath saved us? Talking about the Lord. Who saved us? Everybody say saved us. Saved. And called us. Everybody say called us. Called. With a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Paul said that you've been saved and called, but not because of your works. You didn't earn it. You couldn't earn it. God didn't look down and say, man, he's such a good dude. I'm going to save him. She's such a great lady, I'm going to save her. No, you're not called or saved according to your works. There's two reasons that God saved you. One of them is because of his grace. He knew you couldn't save yourself, so he sent grace to save you. Amen. He sent grace to help you to find him. But it's not only because of grace, but the Bible said it was his purpose and grace. God has a purpose for your life. Hallelujah. He saved you because he has a purpose for you. God sees your purpose, and the devil sees your purpose. But you got to see your purpose. You got to know that's why God saved me because I have value. Jeremiah 29, the circumstances were not good. Babylon had taken control of the regional world. The prospects for a secure and prosperous future were dire. Babylon's method was to overwhelm their enemies with their lifestyle, their culture, and the pressure and intimidation of their power. In the culture, in that culture, in Babylonian culture, God's people were viewed as second-class citizens. They were nobodies, insignificant. They held no political sway, and they had no economic or societal significance. They saw themselves as powerless, and they saw themselves as weak. And there was this general negativity abounding. And though Babylon controlled the world, Babylon did not control God. And in the malaise of Babylonian oppression, God anointed Jeremiah to speak to his people who were captive in the famed city of Babylon. And here's what God told them. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That, that phrase, to give you an expected end, in the original translation is to give you hope and a future. I know the Babylonians think you're second class, and I know you doubt your own significance. 
I know what the world thinks about you, but I don't need the world to think for me, and I don't need you to think for me. I know the thoughts I think toward you. You are captive to your enemies and you're in bondage in Babylon and you're living far below your calling. But I'm sitting here thinking good thoughts about you while you're in the middle of your captivity. I'm sitting here making plans for your future. I'm making plans for your deliverance. Amen. Who am I? I'm a child of God. Who am I? I'm a man of God. Who am I? I'm a winner through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the devil is... Liar. I wish somebody would say it with me. I wish somebody would say, I'm a child of God. I'm a winner in Jesus' name. And the devil is a liar. God's making good plans for you right now. You may be sitting here in church and making plans to go get high. But while you're making plans to go get high or go get drunk, the devil's making plans right now for you to have a hope and a future. His ways are higher than mine and his thoughts are higher than mine. I'm trying to breathe hope into somebody. God, let the gift of faith operate through the preaching of your word and let it get in somebody's spirit. I can do all things. I can make it. I wish somebody would say it right now. I can make it. I can live for God. I can do this. You wouldn't have been called out if you couldn't do it. This is my beloved son. Can I preach a little while longer? Judges chapter number 6, the story of Gideon, one of the great judges of Israel. He is known as a great judge. People named their children Gideon in his honor. But when we find him in the scripture, he's not exactly that honorable. Judges 6 and 11, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizarite. I wish God would have had them name their people like Fred and Joe and John and Bill and Sally. Pertained to Joash the Abyssalite and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Everybody say Gideon threshed wheat by the wine press. It's not a wheat press. It's a wine press. He's, there's a threshing floor for threshing wheat. There's a wine press for pressing grapes. Gideon is threshing wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. He's so full of fear and so intimidated by his enemies that he's threshing wheat in the wine press so his enemies won't see it. He's at a low point just trying to survive, just trying to get enough grain to get by, make, make a little meal, maybe, a, maybe some bread. And at his lowest point, the very next verse, verse number 12, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Hold on a minute, God. You're looking at the wrong, you're at the wrong address. My name's Gideon. I'm so afraid of the Midianites that I'm threshing wheat in the wine press to hide from them. I think, Lord, that your angel, his GPS got mixed up. 
I'd flown into Houston, Texas to attend Sister Elizabeth Hughes' grandfather's funeral. And I rented a car. And uh, when, I, when it was time to go back to the airport, I put the address of the car rental place in the GPS. And it took me through parts of town that I wouldn't have gone through if I had made my own choice. And it makes me turn down this street. And at the end of this street is this wide open field of nothing. And then the GPS literally says, get out of the car and walk. I'm like, your mama. Your mama was a Commodore 64. I'm not getting out and walking. GPS was all messed up. I, I called the car rental place. I said, hey, my GP, I put your address in my GPS. He said, you're in a field, aren't you? I said, no, but it told me to be. He gave me directions. Gideon's at the threshing, he's, he's at the wine press, threshing wheat, hiding from the Midianites, when the angel shows up and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. He said, angel, your GPS got you out at the wrong place. This, you're, you're talking to the wrong dude. Because if you knew where you were, the angel would have said, you're a coward hiding in the wine press. The Lord's not with you, and you are a weakling. But the angel said, the Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. God didn't look at him based on his current circumstances. He looked at him through what he was going to be when God got through with him. Some of our problem is we're looking at us through our current circumstances and we don't know that God's got a plan that's so far above what you ever thought you could be. I'm telling somebody you feel like you're a total failure and you'll never make it. The devil's a liar. God's got a plan for you. And when it's all said and done, generations from now, moms and dads are going to tell their children about what you did. Woo, hallelujah. You may have been drunk Friday night, but by the time God gets through with you, somebody in the future is going to say, brother, so-and-so made a difference in my life. You just got to let God work. You might be at the wine press now, but God has an angel talking to you. So, he, so the next verse, here's, now Gideon, he's, he's a lot like me. Here's what he says. Gideon said unto him, now, 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 he's talking back to the angel. Can I just tell you that if a demon ever shows up, talk back. If an angel ever shows up, shut up and just let God talk. So Gideon said to the angel, oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why? Why then is all this befallen us? If God's, if God's such a big fan of me, why am I in such a mess? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of? Saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. 
God, if you're so pleased with me and I'm your beloved son, then why is all this chaos going on in my life? Why am I dealing? Where's all those miracles they always preach about? Hello, somebody. And the Lord looked upon him and said. Now, you notice before it was the angel of the Lord that said. Right? Am I right? Can you, can you back up to verse 13? Is it 13? The, the first, let's go back to 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, the Lord is with you. And then, and then Gideon starts whining. If the Lord's for us, then why are we in such a mess? Where's all the miracles? The Lord's forsaken us. And then the, in verse 14, God pushes the angel out of the way. I'll handle it now. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? He said, if you'll go, you'll have victory. But if you stay here, then you're never going to have victory. I had a guy one time. I shouldn't tell this, but I'm going to. I had a guy in my house. He was whining about some stuff going on in his life, just complaining about things. And, and I'd talked to him several times, and it, in no turn did he do what I told him to do. I kept saying, do this. He wouldn't do it. Do this. And so he was sitting on my couch whining to me, and I said, hold on a minute. And so I go to my dresser. Now, he's a little bit of a smaller fella, and I'm a big guy. I go to my dresser, and I get some of my boxers out, and I said, here's your big boy underwear. Now, go do something. <laughs> you don't want me to pastor you like that. Do you know what? He did what I told him, and he's happy now. Here's what the Lord said. He said, you can sit here and you can whine and you can thresh wheat in a wine press or you can get up and I'll give you victory. But I'm not going to give you victory while you're hiding out like a little coward doing nothing. I've come to tell somebody, you got to say, I am who God said I am. I'm a man of God. I'm a child of God. I've got victory. I can do this with God on my side. I can do all things through Christ. Let me tell you, you can walk in dominion and power. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You got to believe who God said you are. Stand with me and lift your hands to heaven. Oh, come on, let's take some time and talk to God. The Holy Ghost is trying to encourage somebody today. The Holy Ghost is trying to get somebody out of the wine press. Some of you have, have allowed the enemy to tell you how worthless you are. You live your whole life feeling like defeat is just around the corner. You live your whole life scared of how it's all going to fall apart. You've got to believe what God says about you. 
Go in your might and you will save Israel. And Gideon went from a coward to a deliverer. Lord, in the name of Jesus, all over this place are good people who love you. They want to serve you. They want to live for you. They want to be a godly man, a godly woman, a godly young person. They want to be a godly husband, a godly wife. All over this room, from side to side and front to back and at all points in between, are people who really, truly want to serve you. But as soon as you tell them what they can be, the next words they hear from the devil is that's not really who you are. Sister Carson, I was reminded, I was talking to, to your brother, Brother Wilson, about this message. And uh, we were sitting, getting ready for a funeral Friday, and I was telling him about the sermon and what I was working on, and I, I got to the point. And he reminded me of the story about your dad when he got the Holy Ghost. Brother J. Frank Wilson, the, the elderly gentleman whose picture's out in the vestibule, got the Holy Ghost. He was praying in a barn. This is your great-grandfather. He's praying in a barn, and God fills him with the Holy Ghost. And he's so excited, he gets out of the barn to go to the house, going to tell people about the Holy Ghost. They got the Holy Ghost. And on the way, the devil tells him, you didn't really get the Holy Ghost. So he turns around and goes back to the barn. And he prays again. God baptizes him with the Holy Ghost again. He leaves that barn. He goes out into the house and on the way. The devil says, you didn't really get the Holy Ghost. And so he turns around. This is your great-grandfather too, Brother Dave. He walks back into the barn and he prays through again. And he goes out. And the devil says, you didn't really get the Holy Ghost. And what did he say? You think he said, I'll prove it to you. So he talked in tongues again. <laughs> At some point, you got to quit letting the devil be the barometer of your walk with God. You've got to just get to the point where you say, I am a child of God. One of the hardest things for somebody that's going through a spiritual identity crisis is to be in a church service and want to go to the altar and get a touch from God. They want to believe what the preacher's preaching, but in the back of their mind, the devil tells them, it ain't going to work for you. That's for them. You've messed up too much. You've, you've, you've messed your whole life up. You'll never amount to anything. You can't live for God like these people. You're not their kind of people. You... You'll never, you'll never break free. Repeat after me. The devil is a liar. You can be whoever God says you can be. Who am I? 
I'm his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. He doesn't look at me after my afflictions and my trials and my failures, but he looks at me through the lens of his love and grace and his power and his purpose. And so I'm preaching to somebody. Your eyes are closed all over this place. There are people in this place right now that if the truth is told, you have made a horrible mess out of it. If there was no blood of Jesus and there was no cross and there was no upper room and there was no Bible, you'd be right. You've gone too far. But there is a cross and there is blood and there is an upper room. And this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. For the Carson, it was before he ever turned water into wine was before he ever walked on water. It was before he ever broke the bread and multiplied it or healed blinded eyes or an issue of blood or cast out a devil. Before he had done any of that, God said, I'm pleased. Your eyes are closed all over this place. Somebody wants to come to the altar so bad. Somebody wants to step out. You want to come? You're tired of having that identity crisis and you want, don't let anything stop you. You ought to come right now. You ought to step out. If you've been here a thousand times or this is your first time, you ought to step out. Thank you for coming, sis. God's got a blessing for you today. Come on, you know you want to step out. You fought this internal crisis. You fought this internal battle. Am I ever really going to amount to anything? You step out. God told Gideon, you go. And I'll do the work. There's still still time to come. You know if God's dealing with you. Oh, I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost here. That's right. We're giving you a little more time. If you have even the slightest inkling in your heart that you want to come, you ought to just step out and make your way to this altar. I wouldn't care what anybody said about me. I wouldn't stop and worry what anybody thought. I'd come. I'd come as fast as I could come because I want to be what God said I am. I am who he says I am. I'm a child of God. That's right. Lift your hands and let the joy of the Lord wash over you. There's peace that passes understanding. In the name of Jesus, there's joy. This is your moment. This is your time. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Oh, that's right. That's right. Lift up your voice and talk to it.
identified what the enemy says about me.
lift our hands all over this place. God, I worship you. God, I praise you. God, I glorify you. Amen. Before, before you get moving too much, before, before we close, amen. Brother Craig, work. Could I get you to go stand by this door? Brother Craig, raise your hand up high. Turn around, see his hand up high. Brother David, raise your hand as high as you can on the, by the other door. I would not be doing my job if I didn't remind somebody that you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. This whole thing started with his baptism. And on your way, on your way out, we're not going to make you come up here and do it, but if you would like to be baptized in Jesus' name, you could see Brother Craig or Brother David, and they'll, they'll take you to the baptistry area. We've got clothes. I think we even got a hair dryer back there if you need that. I don't need it anymore. But I would love nothing more than for somebody to be baptized in Jesus' name. And you can find them, and they'll be happy to help you. At this time, I'd like for Macy and J.D., if they will, to bring Tatum Blair Messer. This is such a beautiful little girl. Amen. Any family members that would like to come, you are welcome. We would love to have you come up. I got, to, I got to see her when she first came. Man, she's growing up. Such a beautiful, beautiful baby. Amen. You can be seated at the congregation if you'd like to be. There's not much I like to do more as a pastor than a baby dedication. I love doing baby dedications. I love doing baby dedications because when you have baby dedications, it means you have a future. And so the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter number six, verses six and seven, it says, these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. This is the commandment of God to his people that they should teach their children in their most holy faith. And in obedience to this command, Macy and JD have brought Tatum Blair Messer, born November the 15th of 2023 at six pounds and seven ounces. Grandparents Hugh and Betty Butler and Benji Messer and Angel Ledlow. And it is a blessing to have this beautiful child here this morning. It's the commandment of God that we diligently rear our children in our faith. 
It is his design that parents pass on to their children who will pass on to their children. And so these parents have brought her to the Lord. The precedent for this ceremony of baby dedication is found in the Holy Scripture. When Samuel was brought by Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28, when Hannah said, For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I have asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. I think that's interesting terminology because she said, I've lent him. And then the next phrase she says, as long as he lives, I've lent him to the Lord. And so what we're doing is we're lending Tatum to the Lord as long as she lives. This ceremony was also reiterated when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to present him in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22. And Paul reminded Timothy that from a child he had been taught the scriptures by his mother and grandmother. And so Jesus said, Suffer or allow the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So Macy and J.D., you've brought Tatum Blair to the house of the Lord in obedience to the word of God where the Bible said provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and so you have brought this child and in reality it's not only a baby dedication but it's a parental dedication Proverbs said train up a child in the way he should go And when you do that, you have a promise. When he is old, he will not depart from it. And so if it is your intention to present Tatum Blair Messer to the Lord and to pledge yourselves to bring her up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, I would like for you to answer, we do, to the following promises. Do you here on this day recognize that she is a blessing, a gift from God, and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing. Do you hear this day dedicate this child to the Lord who gave her to you? Do you promise to give this child every possible benefit of home, school, and church and to protect and to provide for her? Do you hear this day ask God's blessing upon her life to guide, guard, and direct her through all of her years? And do you promise to raise this child in the truth of God's holy word, putting the Lord first in all matters? And do you promise to live an example of faithfulness, holiness, and virtue before her in such a way that your words and actions do not conflict? My father-in-law had three daughters. I always teased him. I said, the reason God wouldn't let you have boys is you'd have made them sissies. And we thought, we chuckled and laughed. And then when I had two daughters, I went to him. I said, real men have girls. (laughs) Amen. It takes a real man to raise a daughter in these days. Thankfully, God saw fit to give this child to these parents and to these families. Amen. My, My preaching is the cure for insomnia. This is my favorite part. Oh, I left my phone up there. Sister Mandy, you're going to take a picture and send it to me, right? Amen. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercy. I thank you for the privilege that you've given this church to have another child. God, the children that open the womb are the heritage of the Lord. And so, God, as a pastor, I want to thank you that you've blessed this family with this baby. You've ensured that your word will go for another generation. God, raising children in this day and age is a difficult task. But God, you've chosen this child's parents for her. And God, we trust that you know that she needed this man and this woman and these families to be the incubator for her purpose and destiny. Lord, I pray for her parents. I ask you, God, to grant them the wisdom and the grace to raise children in this generation. I ask you, God, that you would anoint them with your mercy. God, for no parent is perfect. And so, God, when we're not perfect, that your mercy would give us grace and help us. Lord, I feel a great anointing on Macy and on this family right now. I feel a sense of purpose, oh God, that something great is gonna come out of this child's life. And God, what you've put into her, help us to bring it out. Help me as a pastor, help Bethlehem Church and help her parents to mind the destiny of this child, to train her up the way she should go. God, I pray for this man. This girl needs a godly father. And God, you've given her a blessing in this man. And so God, let his heart be tender towards you and towards her. And Lord God, I pray you grant him the wisdom and direction and the blessings for his home. God, I pray for this precious, beautiful child. Help her, God, to love the truth. Help her to love prayer and love worship and love the word and love the church and love working for you. Help her heart be tender to your presence. Guard her heart, God. Guard her against hurt. Guard her against trouble. I pray the angel of the Lord to be with her. As your word promises, God, you said that that which we dedicate to you, that you're able to keep. And so, God, we dedicate this beautiful baby to you, knowing that you're able to keep her by your mercy and by your grace. I dedicate this child to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Boy, she's precious. She is something else. If you were to ask me what I want more than anything else besides being saved, I would love for my kids to be this size again so I could live it all over again. I just don't want to be 52 if it happens. <laughs> Amen. Give this baby and this family a great hand. <laughs>